All right. Uh, so today is an interesting day. Uh, there are two Taylors that have projects out. <laughs> and I'm sure Taylor Swift didn't like give you a phone call to let you know that she was going to drop a surprise album. No. On the day of the first Blood Root EP. Shockingly enough, she did not. Yeah. <laughs> have you heard it? I took some time. Today, I, I've i just been sitting in my bed listening to music all day because that's how I wanted to spend my release day. But I did. Um, I listened to three of the songs and I watched one music video. And um, I've never been a fan of Taylor Swift. Um, mm. But I actually kind of really dig it. I was kind of saying the same thing. I was like, oh, wow, I've changed my mind. How do I feel about this? It's good stuff. I was... Very surprised. She got Justin Vernon involved, and then I'm immediately interested. I have not heard the Boney Vare track. I did see his name on the on the track listing, but I haven't heard it yet. It's interesting. It's yeah. pretty good. No, I was shocked. I was like, oh, wow. Taylor, Taylor kind of changed the game for herself on this one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But we're not here to talk about that Taylor. We're here to talk about Taylor Wofford, a.k.a. Bloodroot. Um, so you're, this, is, this is the first EP. You've got two singles out already. You, heard, you had two singles out prior to today. One being the uh, the famous conversations, and uh, the other being teeth. Um, and there are a million angles that I'll come at this with. I don't really know where I'm gonna start. I know where I'm gonna start because originally, after those singles were out, you were going to do a full length. You were work. You I guess the full length is still in the works. Correct. Right. So, tell me about the transition. Why? Why did you change your mind and say, you know, I'm gonna make an EP before I do this full length? Um, it was not a conscious decision that I made. Uh, yeah, it just, during quarantine, early quarantine days, I was like, okay, maybe this, you know, after the initial shock of, you know, the world crumbling had passed, I was like, okay, make the best of a bad situation. I have all this time now that I didn't have before, um, to really work on my record and get that done. And I started working on it and I felt really good about the progress that I was making, um, while there was all this personal unrest in other areas of my life. Um, <clears throat> and I, I made some changes, and uh, I left a relationship, and I said, I'm bored here. Um, maybe I can just go be bored at my house instead. And uh, and then this just kind of happened. It's <laughs> big things. It was not a conscious decision. Um, it kind of just unfolded in front of me, and... Uh, and just came together kind of magically, and, and now it's out, and uh, it felt really important for it to just be out. Very organic. Yeah. I think that's that's kind of like something that's just really important to you, because I was listening to uh, Live the Dream, Not the Meme. Just, dreams, not memes. Dreams, not memes. I was, I guess I was conflating it with the, the theme song that comes on in the middle of the podcast. But anyway, it's called Dreams, Not Memes, which is your friend Brian Walker's podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And you were saying that you've recently uh, recently become a big believer in fate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, recently, how how recently were you talking here? When did that pop up? I would say it's like slowly formed in my brain over the last probably year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden I had just realized how big that had become to me is fate and just like believing. And I'm not a religious person. Um, I don't really jive with that. Um, don't dislike people who do at all. Um, I think that whatever helps you fulfill your day-to-day responsibilities as a human is what you should be doing, um, no matter what form that takes. But with that being said, 
I think that there's something that stirs the pot and there have been too many occurrences over the last six months to year of my life that have just felt like pure magic and the way that they've come together and the relationships that I've established. You know, it's like when you stop looking for something, it knocks on your front door. Oh, wow. Do you take that same approach when you're making a record? Because you seem very intentional in everything that you do. And I say that because your music is very detailed. I like black out when I'm working on music at my house. I don't even know how it happens. It doesn't even feel like work. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'll spend like, and I don't even have, uh, I have a very modest studio setup. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've got some relatively cheap iLouds and I use, um, you know, like a Scarlett Focusrite Mm -hmm. and Ableton, like a cracked version of Ableton. And and (laughs) I just sit on my bedroom floor in in my headphones and my Sennheisers for like hours on end. And I just don't even realize what's happening until it's already done. That's okay. That's impressive. Impressive is not the word that I would use. That's not because that that's that's so contrary to I don't you know I guess everybody's process is a little different. Um, I I make music kind of like through trial and error, and since I've been making music at home, I I have more time to do that. Like you know, see what works, see what I like, see what I don't like, and whatnot. But you're kind of just like, all right, I'm gonna sit down and make this thing, and see where it goes. You just, and then it's almost like you don't even remember what you're doing while you're doing it. And it just comes out and you're like, oh, yeah, I made a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. So let's let's back up because uh, I kind of want to give people context to how we got to this EP. So small military town in North Carolina. And I think the way that you phrased it was there's no, there was nothing to do but go to the beach and do hard drugs in Waffle House parking lots. But what you ended up doing was you spent time learning instruments and I think you said like experimenting with early recording techniques, yeah? Yeah, and some of that other stuff too, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Even the drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting now to think um, like today a big thing that I've just been visualizing is myself as like a nine or 10 year old, you know, at my parents' house in my bedroom, just with like the silliest, simplest recording gear and um, just like making, just experimenting with sounds and like beginning to understand basic recording concepts or like, or like what reverb is and how it can be used in different ways or like using too much of it which I didn't learn until really recently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We were going to come back to the reverb thing. I think it's very pertinent to um, crying in the Soup Island Kroger in particular, but in a lot of your music. Um, so growing up, experimenting, writing, kind of just finding your voice, then you moved to Boone for Appalachian State? Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. And is that about where... Uh, is it the Blue Wild? Yes. Is that, that's where that band came about? Yes. Okay. Which is interesting because, like, I, I went back and I, I'd, I'd heard, like, your Taylor Wofford solo music before, like, shortly after I met you, which was, like, a two, two, and a, two and a half years ago? Yeah. Yeah, it's been that long. It doesn't yeah. seem like it's been that long, but it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you mentioned the Blue Wild and the other podcast interview that you did, and... I was like, oh, okay, let me go check this out just to get a better context. And it was, it was like heavy, like when like Avid Brothers and like uh, uh, Mumford and Sons were like really, really hot. And that was like the cool thing. It was very much of that time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Is it ever weird going back to listen to that music or do you go back to listen to that music at all? <laughs> it's funny that you say that because uh, I recently revisited that EP, the Blue Wild EP, like mm-hmm. th- within the past week with a, with a new friend, new friend with a, per- a person. Um, and uh, <laughs> and we listened and I was like, wow, like this was cool at the time. Yeah. Like. Um, I definitely learned a lot from being in that band and like just knowing what it's like to be in a band and like book shows and um, like become a part of a scene that was like crucial for me. Um, but I think it could only go so far. Yeah. Therefore, like the, the solo release, you yeah. know, which it's been like a very logical progression. Yeah, we talked, um, Brian and I talked about this a little bit, but like people who write like the kind of music that we're into, like in our in our scene, kind of grew up on that kind of music. You know, it's like kind of foundational. Absolutely. So, um, so when it comes to like the, the solo record that you did, I think it was seven tracks. Mm-hmm. Where did the distinction be- come between like Taylor Wofford and that what is now Bloodroot? Because I when I met you, I remember you played the show at the Bowery Vault and you played a couple of Taylor Wofford songs. Mm-hmm. I guess you already had conversations at that point. It was written, but it wasn't recorded yet. Or maybe you were working on it. Yeah. It took forever to get that song done. Um, I, I, can, I can imagine. Many, <laughs> many, many revisions, lots of scrapping things and starting over yeah. um, and just um, different lives. But yeah, I think that Bloodroot started with that song. It's with conversations? Yeah, I think conversations was like the turning point. Like, oh, this is something else. Mm. Like, this is a jumping off point. I, I feel it. Yeah, the I mean, it, it, it's you can hear the progression, especially between the Taylor Wofford record and when when conversations and teeth came out. Because um, you, I think you hadn't. You'll you'll always have like the influences like folk. I know you grew up on a lot of country music, so I think they'll they'll always be a part of you, but. I think you were still holding on to it on the Taylor Wofford record where it was kind of like, well, this is kind of like a progressive folk kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you finally made the tra- tra- the transition, I think like Bloodroot became something like totally different. You know what I mean? Totally. Like <laughs> it's, it's kind of like there's a clear switch like somewhere in the middle of that Taylor Wofford record um, where you start, we started introducing synthesizers and drum machines. And now that's like primarily what Br- Bloodroot is. Gotcha. Okay, now here we go. Okay, so you said that conversations took you a long time. Mm-hmm. But for Crux, for these four songs on this EP, you, did, did I hear you right when you said it was a two-week re- writing process? Um, so the deal is uh, the first half of that project, I wrote those songs in like October of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had kind of started playing them out as a band and I had them demoed out, but I kind of... Like, crux, that word specifically, has been tied to those two songs since I wrote them. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote them in the same week. Um, and then I had planned on maybe just releasing them as a pair at some point. And then in the month of June, I wrote the back half. And just all of a sudden, after I wrote that last song, I was like, yeah, this is cohesive. Like, this feels like a complete idea and, like, a strong feeling. As in this June. This tune, yeah. So you wrote, and that that makes a whole lot of sense for, let's see what we got here. What's the last, no, 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 no. What's the last song on the EP? I didn't make the note. It's called What Is Happening. (laughs) What Is Happening. That makes a whole lot of sense because like things were like really, really bad at that point. 
Yeah. That, that song, that song has kind of like a wild story. Um, and I will share it. Uh, Go for it. um, yeah, I wrote what is happening and, um, O H E, which stands for, uh, orange Honda element. Um, mm. <laughs> I wrote those two in the same week in the month of June. And, um, I wrote that last song, what is happening. Um, I wrote it for my friend from my hometown, mm-hmm. like like a childhood best friend who has had kind of a rough go of things recently. And uh, she lost her partner, like right in the middle of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like this immense pain through her and just thinking like, wow, like in case things weren't already fucking horrible enough, just imagine like your loved one passing away after yeah. you've had a child together like like a newborn <laughs> and it just struck me so hard that I just it's like I woke up at at 7 a.m that day and I I found that news out and I sat in my bed just like with my MIDI controller keyboard and I wrote that song and it just was so stream of consciousness and so like I felt like I was just having a conversation with her and holding her hand as I wrote it wow I had no idea because I just knowing what I know about you, I kind of imagine that song is kind of like a pep talk for yourself is what I imagined it as. And obviously, like when people are listening to your music, the meaning that they attach to it is often totally different than what meaning you, you intended <laughs> totally for it. Different. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I'll, I will keep that in mind when I go back and listen to it because that's, that's really intense. And there are a lot of people that, that have similar stories, whether it be to COVID or whether it be something totally unrelated because as scary as the world is at this moment, people's personal lives don't stop. Yeah. Um, personal pain keeps happening. Um, and that's the neat thing about that song is you can attach whatever meaning to it that you would like. And, um, it could very much be understood as like a collective grief, Mm. you know, collective or personal. And that's like the whole idea behind crux. Yeah. You know, it's like these things that I'm writing about are, are very personal to me and very specific and unique to my experience. However, super applicable to a lot of people and like on a collective scale. And that's why I felt like this massive sense of urgency to just put it out. Mm -hmm. Not for me, but for everyone else who like could maybe gain something from it. Absolutely. So when you finished that song, was that that was the decision to kind of, okay, let me get these recorded and then I'll bundle bundle them up as an entire EP? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So there, un, un, until that, those last couple, because you wrote them the same week, there was no plan for an EP. No. Word up. That's intense. <laughs> yeah, and then it just came together really quickly after that. I, um, I think I spent about a day um, recording each song, and then about one more day on the production of each song, and then like a few more days to uh, mix everything. Okay. And then... Um, Went over to my friend Joey's house, mm-hmm. who is my mastering guy. He's so good um, and just so kind and just like kind of like a mentor for me uh, in general. He's been here a little longer and he's a little older than me. And we went or we went through the whole EP and um, just made really specific cuts on, on mastering and making sure that every song had the right kind of life and the right kind of delivery. So I'm really grateful for him too. Nice. Well, shout out to Joey. You shout out to Joey. Fantastic job on the mastering end. Yeah. Um, we're going to go through all of these songs, um, but before we just get into the nitty gritty of each individual song, let's talk about this term bedroom pop. 
Because Brian mm. said something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Grown is right. Because Brian said something really, really funny. And, like, he was joking. But he was saying, like, oh, you were kind of like the first bedroom pop star because you were, like, experimenting with recordings in your bedroom in your parents' house when you were really, really young. Um, do, do you know where that term popped up, like, originally? I have no idea. It was a Spotify playlist. Like, that... I mean, it still is a Spotify playlist, and it's it, it's one that's quite popular and quite good, I think. Um, but I don't think it was a term until, like, Spotify had this playlist, and I guess somebody in their marketing department is like, oh, we should call this bedroom pop. Um, and it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of entered, like, the musical vocabulary in a way that's, like, just short of disparaging, right? Um, <laughs> it's almost kind of like a parody of itself when people say it. Um and on, I, I don't be beyond the fact that you like wrote, recorded, and mixed all of this stuff yourself in your bedroom. I don't think people would give it that label, but it, no, because it's not lo-fi. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. I like. I'm I'm totally disqualified from that genre because it's like relatively hi-fi. Right. Like I wanted to sound good. <laughs> and it's 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 interesting because it, it's this is really an immersive piece of music that you've created and it's very, very detailed. But if I'm not mistaken, this is two microphones and some drum samples. Yeah. Um, so if you want the complete list, I do, uh, I used an SM seven B on my vocals, mm -hmm. all of my vocals, um, SM 57, uh, mic'd up to my fender champ. It's a 73 fender champ. Um, just recently had the speaker replaced by my good friend, Alad and, that amp sounds so tight. Anyways, not to get distracted. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, I've, I've got my, I just got a new Aria SG over quarantine. And it's one of those Japanese Gibson knockoffs. It's from the year 1980. Um, and it's probably the coolest guitar I've ever had. Uh, I used that guitar on every song. And I used that guitar and my Mexi Strat on track one. Because I needed something like a little like you know, a little uh, hotter for that first song, and the Strat was just perfect for it. Um, my pedal board, I did not use any plugins on my guitars. Every effect that you hear on the guitars is just my pedal board. Um, yeah, and then uh, this analog synth that I have, it's like a primarily a bass synth. It's mono, um, the uh, Archeria Mini Brute. Very cool synth. No presets, all analog. And then just like some free internet drum samples and um, stock Ableton MIDI sounds for like some keyboard stuff. Now I don't I use Logic. I don't use Ableton. Why Why go and find samples on the internet? Because um, I would imagine that Ableton has like a sample pack in it. Um, there are some specific drum sounds that I really dig that that can be found on the internet, uh, like Roland, like old school Roland drum sounds, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. I'm really into. Okay, I was just curious. I don't think one's better. I was just like. You know, there must have been a reason that you did that. So, yeah. Okay. So, we're talking about the song Self Medicating on a Weekday. That's track one. And it's interesting because, like, this this is kind of like your most, uh, your most rock and roll effort to date. <laughs> yeah. Right. But this, this song was written bef in, in October of 2019, I think you said, right? Yes. Okay. So, t t tell us how this song started. Well, um,. In, like, October of last year, I was going through a breakup, and um, for some reason, it just, I, I felt so much angry, angrier about it than I have um, in past breakups that maybe just felt, like, a little more sad. Mm -hmm. I was just frustrated. I was like, why? Like, why? 
and um, I was maybe like drinking a little bit more than usual and uh, and doing that kind of thing and also simultaneously just getting into heavier bands and that just kind of like seeped more into my genre scope. What bands are we talking about? Um, Idols, um, like the Black Angels, uh, just uh, Queens of the Stone Age, which I've never mm. been like a huge fan of. And it's heavy. Uh, I put heavy in, in air quotes. Um, which Queens of the Stone Age record were you listening to? Don't ask me that. I'm just <laughs> curious. Like, and that, that's not that's not a that's not a gotcha question. I mean, that's a band that I enjoy from time to time. So I'm just curious. I don't know any of the record names. Okay. I will just say that. Okay. Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah. Specifically, Idols and like uh, Viagra Boys and Squid and like stuff that's kind of like maybe on purpose bad. You know, interesting. Just like, <laughs> like specifically, just like angry and bad. Um, for that being said, I love all of those bands. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, now, live drums on this one? Uh, no. No. No live mm, drums okay. at all. I don't know why I thought that, but I did think that the drums on track one were the hardest for me to figure out. I was like, am I gonna have to like figure out how to get in a studio and get drums tracked or like? something like that because I was just really struggling with like do I pick drum samples that sound like real drums or do I just like go with the vibe of the rest of the project and just make it like clearly not live drums and I think I landed somewhere in the middle and just wanted to make them sound realistic but also not now so this brings up an interesting point because I don't think there are any blood root songs with a live kid and I'm not saying there should be teeth teeth Ah, I forgot about that one. There's a mixture of both. Now, is that out of convenience, or do you just like the way that sample drums sound? Both. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so I like I. It's not that I don't like them. What 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 I what I don't like about sample drums is that the like quantizing kind of takes a lot of the push and pull out of it for me, and that doesn't matter for all music. Totally. Um, it, it it for for the for the kind of music that I strive to make, it matters quite a bit. And I was very very anti, not not from a not from a philosophical or an ideological standpoint, but from a what I'm trying to make standpoint. I was like, I'm not going to do this. And then COVID hit, and I was like, well, I don't have anything to do, and I got to make something. So I kind of hung that up. And I'm I'm kind of glad that I did because it gives me more flexibility, and I think it gives me more versatility. But um, when I listen back to like music that I've kind of made this primary sample, primarily sample based, I'm kind of like, well, I feel like we should have pushed more there. I was like, oh wait, it's a computer. Yeah, can't do that. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta play your drum samples on a on a MIDI keyboard and then just quantize them at like eighty eight percent. Yeah. Now I mean, <laughs> not one hundred percent. I do try to like the way, I've never used Ableton. The way that it works in Logic is that um, they do it by note divisions. Right, so like you can do a whole note, you can do a quarter note, you can do an eighth note, you can do a sixteenth, you can do thirty second or whatever. Yeah, 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 same. Um, but uh, like I, I'm really lazy, <laughs> and like I think you're 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 very very detailed with like your sample drums. But I like I, I'll do the basic loop, and if I feel like a fill should go there, without I'll like. Chop That's exactly what I do. I'm lazy too. Okay. <laughs> well, hell, look, I think being lazy, honest, like I think we're lazy in a way that's ultimately productive. 
Um, I agree. We yeah. don't waste time on things that aren't like crucially important there to our mixes. Yeah. Um, but rather by rather than by percentages, you choose like your the, how much they're quantized by no division. Um, and I, but I, I still miss that push and pull. I um, do too. Yeah. I've had a couple of mix engineers listen to stuff that I've done with live drums and be like, do you want this on the grid? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like I want it to feel like real and warm and like an actual person is playing and people aren't perfect. So it's not going to be perfect, but there is an industry standard and there is like a difference between good drums and bad drums. Drums are, dude, drums are kind of like, um, what are drums like? I'm completely playing devil's advocate because I have such strong feelings like it, about no, drums. People are really <laughs> no, me too. Pe- they're, they're, it, it's a really, really personal thing because like now, now that I think about teeth, like it, it, it's a pretty wide open. It's not a wet sound necessarily, but it's one that's that's. There's a lot of room mic in it, I think, from what I'm imagining, like in in the live drum parts. Yeah. 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 See, I it is not, I is not I don't I don't like it's not that I don't like the way they sound on teeth for a love montage record I don't like roomy drums I totally. like very dry and focused drums and you know I went like you know I went to MTSU and everybody was like oh you got to put your you got to put your overheads like way up here and it's got to sound like the Foo Fighters ah, all the time and I'm like I literally <laughs> don't like most rock drums I like I like like the '70s dry sound is what I like personally I love that too there will be some of that on the record oh sweet for sure there's live drums. Like all around the record. How many tracks are going to be on this live? If, if we can talk about that, how many tracks? Um, <laughs> it the rules keep changing, but um, as of right now and like for the past little bit, I think it's going to be eight songs, okay. and possibly an intro that I have considered cutting and keeping and cutting and keeping. Um, yeah. And is every song a mixture between samples and live drums, or? Not every song. Some songs are just. Uh, drum samples and uh, some are just live drums and some are a mix. Nice. Yeah. We're going to come back to that because I want to keep talking about the EP. So we've got self-medicating on a weekday. Uh, sweet. That sounds like it was pretty straightforward. Tell me about recording vocals because that that's also something that you clearly spend a lot of time on. Oh my God. I get... S- no one's ever like asked me this specifically. Um, and I kind of just to myself feel a little bit embarrassed about the way that I record vocals. Um I used to have like a really strict process um, and now I've just kind of like said fuck all that and thrown all that out the window and I like I don't even use a mic stand I hold my SM7B and for those of you who know what that mic is it's it's not like a natural handhold but I just feel like I need to hold it and I just need to like do whatever sometimes I close my eyes I don't use a vocal booth I just like stand in the middle of my bedroom or I'm sitting on the floor which my vocal teacher from college would absolutely murder me if she heard me saying that. But um, I get up and I walk around and I move around um, and I just hold the mic. And um, sometimes I punch in. Sometimes I use full takes. It's just, There's no like real rhyme or reason. I just kind of like do it as I go. And I just decide if that that takes good enough or not. And, and just like make sure that it all feels cohesive in the end. Nice. Um, I, I was asking for this song in particular because you, towards the end, you get kind of in like cacophony territory. And I was just really, I was wondering how many vocal tracks you're working with there. Cause I know there are at least maybe three cause you've got like a lead and then a couple of harmonies. Yeah. I think at the end there I've got lead doubled and then uh, definitely like two harmonies and maybe doubled harmonies. Um, yeah. You think vocals are the hardest part about making a record? 
That's a really good question. Um, vocals are the part that I, I think I spend the most time with. I don't know if they're the hardest part. I think that, um, that that's a little bit different of a question, but it, I spend the most time on vocals for sure. Yeah. I micromanage my vocals more than any other part of the mix. <laughs> it's so there's, there, there's, it, it's, there's, there's a difference in being a studio singer and singing live. Yes. Um, and that's not even getting into the area of like vocal production. Right. But like something that works as far as your vocal delivery on stage might not work in the studio and vice versa. And you probably figured the figured this out before I did because you've been doing it longer. But like nobody ever tells you that you have to figure that out the hard way. I had more trouble figuring out how to sing on a stage than singing in my bedroom recording vocals. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm the exact <laughs> opposite. Um, but I, I, I like doing vocals um, because I think that you have maybe more flexibility. It's not that you have more flexibility. What you decide to do speaks a whole lot towards the character of your record. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like um, something as simple as like, you know, keeping it straight at the beginning. You've just got like one vocal track and then you, maybe you double it up and pan them hard left and hard right on the chorus or something like that. Versus mm -hmm. if you were just to kind of keep it like straight all the way through. The possibilities are endless. Um, I don't know, I think that's cool. I like to get a little bit out there with vocal production. Not super out there, but um, on Crux I did a little bit. It's a good segue into uh, crying in the soup aisle at Kroger. Uh, I heard the song before you sent me the EP because you played it at what had to have been your last show before COVID hit, mm -hmm. which was at the East Room, which was, just to give you context on how crazy this year has been, that was a benefit show for the tornado. Mm -hmm. And I remember the tornado. It's like when I think about it, it seems like it's in February, but it turns out the tornado was on March 3rd. So this mm -hmm. was like mid-March when we had this show. It was March 16th. That was the show? Yeah. That was the last show? Yeah, yeah. with self-help and newscast. It was a good time. It was a really good show. Um, it, it, a good send-off for the apocalypse, no doubt. Totally. Yeah, shit was, shit was already weird, but hell, if it ain't weird now. Um, so tell us the story about uh, crying in the soup aisle at Kroger on 21st and Blair. Okay. The, the very cinematic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I wrote that song... Um, it, it was also, like I said earlier, it was, um, I wrote that within like two weeks of self-medicating on a weekday. Um, and also during a breakup and, uh, I just remember this one evening I went to Kroger and, um, this is a hundred percent true story. Like I'm not making it up for the sake of the, the narrative. I don't think that you could have made it up if you tried. <laughs> There's just no way. I just remember feeling so goddamn defeated and just being in Kroger and um it's it's cold outside I'm, I'm, I'm picking out soups I love soup <laughs> and I'm just in the Kroger in my neighborhood in 12 South and um I'm just having the hardest time and I'm in headphones I'm listening to some song probably on a Bright Eyes record or some sad shit and I'm just sobbing I'm just sobbing in the middle of the aisle just trying to pick like th three or four cans of soup to take home with me. <laughs> and I remember um, 
I got in my car after that and uh, I called my bass player, Austin, and I hope he won't mind that I'm telling this story. Um, I called him and I was like, hey, hey, uh, did you get a chance to, to listen to that uh, new rough mix that I sent you? He's like, no, no, I haven't yet, Tay. I'm sorry. I was like, no, it's cool. I don't think that's why I'm actually calling. I'm just like having a mental breakdown and like, I don't know who else to call. And within like 15 minutes, he was at my house. He brought puzzles. He brought like snacks. Like we've been on tour together one time or two times. And he like remembered what snacks I like and brought them just like really, really good guy that I'm really grateful for. And we just talked it out at my kitchen table for like a few hours. And that was like a huge turning point in me um, making an effort to improve my mental health. Just like saying those things out loud and saying like, I re this really is just like too much for me to handle and I need someone else um, to hold me accountable for getting better. And he was that person. And uh, thank you, Austin. Shout I out love to Austin. You. Shout out to Austin. He's so talented. <laughs> you, um, I think a, a blog picked uh, picked this song up. And feed, like Maybe they premiered it, didn't they? Yeah, We All Want Someone to Shout For it premiered that song. That's the one. Um, are they based out of Nashville? I don't know where they're based out of. <laughs> no, they're I British. I don't think so. I, they, I take that back. They're British. I don't know why. I, they, I've seen them on Submit Hub. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Submit Hub's a good time. Uh, yeah, Submit, <laughs> Submit Hub is like super okay. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I want to come back to that. But um, I think you said, and like they gave you like a little interview, and I think they you, you said something to the to the effect of like, this this endless option of soups was just kind of like a microcosm of like everything that was happening like inside. Yeah, it was like the craziest like parallel. It just it just lined up too perfectly. Do you remember what soup you actually chose? That's what I want to know. Um, I probably got um a tomato basil. Uh, I love um potato soup. Okay. So definitely got a potato soup and probably like two vegetarian vegetable soups. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you eat meat? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm just curious. I do not. Uh, I've been like on and off vegetarian, mostly vegetarian for like the last 10 years of my life. Um, every now and then if I have a little bit too much to drink and I'm with some good friends, I'll eat chicken. But um, I hope that the universe will forgive me for that and saying that I am vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did a poll where they were talking about, I think like a fourth of vegetarians like eat meat whenever they're drunk. Like people get wasted and they're like, Oh yeah, that pepperoni sounds pretty good. I'll have some of that. Never pepperoni. Okay. Maybe not you. No, maybe no not you. Pepperoni. Chicken, but, turkey, just birds. Yeah. Birds yeah, yeah. and fish. I, eat uh, fish. I, I think that if we are meant to meet, eat meat, that's probably the best thing for you. Totally. Um, so we cried in the soup aisle at Kroger. The the vocals are super wet on this one. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you choose the reverb for it? Uh, trial and error. Trial and error. Trial and error. I I try out like a lot of different reverbs before I decide on one because it's so crucial mm -hmm. to that to the blood root sound is like distinction of reverb. I was talking. We you you've heard this interview. Me and Mac talked a lot about that. I I think that yes. Because like I I like. I like music to be a little dry. Like you can have like vibrato on it or you can have some interesting delay. There's a place for it. It has its place. You're talking about reverb? Yeah, or lack thereof. It, it certainly seems like, you know, and I don't know when this trend started and I think that there are a lot of reasons for it, but rather than there being a place for it, it certainly seems to kind of just be like the zeitgeist or like the status quo for, especially indie music. Everything's just like a... You know, like a wash, the, yeah, a lush modulated reverb on everything, yeah, 
Yeah, that's cool. And I now what's interesting? I, I think that you you don't go too far in that direction because I think that like compared to what like Bloodroot could be, the storytelling and the imagery really really stand out. The vocals don't really get lost. Like I'm thinking like you, you know Tame Impala, so you you know Pond. Yeah. So like Pond is kind of like, and, and, and their, their stuff is, is it bumps. It's cool. I like Pond, but like totally. I don't know what the fuck they're saying in those songs. Never, not a clue. Yeah. <laughs> um, which you know, there's 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 a place for it, but I, I I often feel like right now that is the place. It's kind of just like let's just make this whole wash because people are listening passively anyway. I feel like that's the expectation. But your music doesn't lend itself to passive listening though. Thank you. Which I appreciate about it. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, no problem. Um, anyway, so trial and error. And I think uh, all of your music is very, very cinematic and very imagery-based. Um, I think you're, you're just like a really, really good storyteller and a really good text painter uh, and whatnot. But I do remember that reverb really jumping out at me on that track quite a bit. I was going for a more like vintage feel on that song. I can hear that. Like a neo vintage, <laughs> if that makes any yeah, sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, it draws me back to something that you said earlier because you, how do you feel about that term lo-fi? Because it, it certainly sounds like that's, yeah, it, 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 is, is that something that you are not very, very anti to? So I love lo-fi beats 24 7 that you can sleep chill smoke study to fall asleep to that's like my bread and butter (laughs) on the internet um it's one of those things that i'll keep on in the background if i like have nothing that i'm actively trying to listen to um i love lo-fi tunes um i just don't think that um it's just not my wheelhouse. Like, I just, I don't know how people make proper lo-fi music and it's never been like a prerogative of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love it. Yeah. I just, I just don't fall under that category cause it's not, it's not my prerogative. I think that, um, the meaning of that term has changed a lot over the past five years. Totally. And I, I think that a lot of that has to do with that YouTube playlist, lo-fi, <laughs> lo-fi beats to chill and study too, 24 <laughs> seven. Um, because to, to me, what it means is like guided by voices. Or like my bloody Valentine, and I know my bloody Valentine is like shoegaze and whatnot, but like shoegaze, yeah, yes, that's something that you you were yes shoegaze or yes shoegaze no lo-fi, like they get like intertwined a bunch, but they're two completely different things. Like I would say the bloodroot is a little bit shoegazy. I can see that. I would not say the bloodroot is lo-fi. Mm. <laughs> I would say There's that it is bedroom pop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, how do I? I don't know. I I, I would say that there is a lot of lo-fi shoegaze. I don't think that shoegaze is inherently Mm lo-fi. And and I'll I'll, I'll also go to say, I think that at this point, genre is meaningless. I think that we're in a post-genre world. I think that... Completely. It's archaic. For the sake of ease, I think we have to assign descriptors to our sounds or sounds that we like and whatnot. For the sake of the industry standard, we have to be able to say, I sound like this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was dying to find out what OHE stands for, <laughs> and now I know that it sounds it stands for Orange Honda Element. It does, and I uh, perceive this. So that must have been what the gentleman that this song is about. Yes, drove. Yes, Honda Element is a sick car. Yeah, I've never seen an orange one. <laughs> <laughs> there are a surprising amount of them in Nashville, and I'll let you in on a little secret. 
Um, and like the call it whatever you want shout chorus at the end of that song um, where it transitions to the the major um, chord progression. Um, I'm saying something in the background and it was like a super last minute addition to that song. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I'm saying is, (laughs) my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, Do you know how many orange Honda elements there are in the city? There are so many. Is that what it is? That's what I say at the end. Now, so this, I think, I think I'm obligated to say that Conversations is my favorite song of yours, but like, if, if, if Conversations were not like what it is, this, I think, is my favorite song of yours. I would say that, too. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, because it, I mean, your music is already really, really detailed. I think this is some of your most detailed work. There's a lot going on in this tune. There are written parts. How many guitar tracks are we talking in this track? Because now, so before, wait, before you tell me, because <laughs> I was going to guess four. Are there more than four? Okay, there's, let me just count in my head really briefly. Just one, two... Three. I think there's a, at least five or six. Five or six. I think there's five or six, yeah. Okay. Now, so how did this song start then? To, how did it get from, like, just a song that you wrote in your bedroom to this really expansive thing that has five or six guitar tracks and a vocal sample of yourself speaking and a lot of synth stuff, and then it has this, like, bass, this, like... That's the, that's the mini brute. Um, that's the mini brute bass. And then there's some like other everything. So it's, it's drum samples from the internet, uh, like TR 66 or something, Roland TR 66, uh, or 78, um, or a mixture of the two. And then the bass synth mini brute, um, one acoustic guitar track, like four electric guitar tracks, um, a lot of vocals, um, and then samples of me, like like actual samples of my car, like shutting the car door, putting the keys in the ignition, like starting my car up. Um, yeah, I, I demoed out that whole song. The initial demo of that song is all acoustic guitars and vocals with recorded with my Apple earbuds. And I just ended up taking one guitar track from that. As vo- in like you reverse engineered them as, as microphones? Or you, like I recorded all of the guitars and vocals just like with my uh, oh. the, the microphone on my. <laughs> okay, I was about to say <laughs> not to overcomplicate. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm not like a, a genius or anything. I didn't do any of that crazy stuff, but yeah, <laughs> I just I decided to just keep one track of the acoustic guitar recorded through my Apple earbuds and keep it for that track because I just really liked the the effect that I put on it or whatever. It just sounded really good, um, and it fit still. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you go back to this thing where you say that you black out when you record. Where where's the decision come to sample your car? And it makes a lot of sense because the song is about Norton Tonda Element. Um, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I just was just working on the mix or whatever at my house one day. And I was like, hmm. And I just took my laptop and uh, just, you know, kind of like took my mic and my focus right and my laptop down and my headphones down as one unit i'm sure my roommate saw me walking through my house like what is this bitch doing and just like went out to my car and just like recorded like slamming the car door and doing that stuff and just like sat in the car for like half an hour making sure i got the right samples i have no idea what drove me to do that i just wanted it to feel like you were actually there 
I want it to feel like very visceral. Now, so, and obviously I'm here asking you, but you know, most people aren't going to be able to ask, oh, well, hey, what does OHE stand for? Like people that know you do, obviously. You know, if you take the show on the road, obviously people will ask you what it means. But, like, how is anybody supposed to glean that it stands for Orange Honda Element when you listen to the song, or is it just for you? It's just for me. And the person whose who's car that is was never supposed to find out, but it kind of it kind of came up on accident, and now that person knows that the song is about them. But that was not my intention ever. <laughs> Damn. It's heavy shit. It's a real good song. I like that song a lot because, and it, I mean, it, 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 it's pop friendly in the best way. Thank you. Um, it, 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 it's real, real catchy, but like I said, there's a lot going on to pay attention to. Um, I hadn't even thought about the fact that there are very obviously samples in it of something. And cause I, I did hear the talking, but what I thought they were, cause you mentioned on Brian Walker's podcast, uh, you've been sampling vinyl records too. Ooh, yeah, that's like a whole other thing. <laughs> now, is that on the EP, or is that, are we saving that for the full length? Neither. That's for uh, <laughs> that's for a, a different project that's kind of in the works right now. Okay. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I cannot disclose any of those details at this time. It's all very uh, very much in the planning stages. Well, well I, we we will stay in suspense. Then is what we will do. Maybe a side project coming. Just gonna say that this is all. Yeah, this is this. Is, I think it, it it's. One nice thing about podcasting is that they is different than like TV or traditional radio or even internet media of like five or ten years ago because they're all governed by time constraints. It's really there's there's just never been a market for long form content of any sort. Right. Print, same thing. So like you know you when you look for information and context on your favorite artists and how they made this, that, or the other, you get weird bits and pieces that are just very, like, not specific. Yeah. And I don't think it's because, you're, you know, artists don't want to share it with you or anything like that. It's just, like, there's just not the time or there's not the space on a page. Um, but, you know, I, I, I expect, you know, there's somebody that's found their music that's like, damn, how the fuck did she make that? They will, you know, hopefully listen to this and be like, oh, wow, that's what she did. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think for, especially for a record like this that just sounds, it's very intimate, but it's also very polished. Um, I think you've really given, given credence to what can be done with two microphones and a computer. Because like I, like I went to MTSU for recording and, you know, all my guys, like everybody that taught me, like came up in the 80s and, you know, they like Phil Collins and they like Rush. And it's kind of like, you got to have like, the, the it, it, it's all condenser mics and you got to have the most expensive ones. You got to have like AKG 414s, and like you have to like put four microphones on every drum on the drum kit, and you got to pan everything just exactly. And I'm like, literally, nobody gives a fuck. No, because there are so many records that were mic'd that way, and maybe were engineered perfectly. And the song is ass. I have a th- I have a theory about that, um, and maybe a lot of people would disagree with me, but I think that what matters more than how you record something is the quality of what you are recording. Like you can't, like you can, but to a certain extent, you cannot make something that inherently sounds good sound bad. Ooh, okay, that's a spicy take. Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole like lo-fi argument. It's like really quality material, but it's recorded like really poorly, Mm -hmm. you know? That's why people love that stuff. It's because it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like you're just saying, like, here's this whole rule book 
for how things should be recorded and produced and mixed. And there's like a proper way to do it. But we're just saying like to hell with all of that. Mm -hmm. This should speak for itself. Yeah. So, I mean, that that definitely like that definitely stops at a certain point. (laughs) I feel it. But. We um we kind of opened this um talking about the the closer on this record and you've you know you've given us you know that that really impactful story on where the song came from but you know tell us a little bit about how you recorded it. So, uh, like I said, it was that morning um, when I heard the news. It was very early. It must have been like six thirty or seven a.m. and I just opened up enabled to the session. Did not write anything down. Um, grabbed my MIDI controller, picked a pad sound. That I, I ended up sticking with the first one that I picked. Um, and it was just pad and vocals. And then I just kind of filled everything else in around it. And I really thought that there would be no guitars on it. And then the guitars ended up being like very important. It was just like the most natural songwriting process that I've ever experienced. It just, it was just flow, a hundred percent flow. I had a question and I lost it. I'm just going to sit here and we're just going to simmer for a second. Get yourself some more wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, hell yeah. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm somebody that like really knows what he likes, right? Like I, my 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 music taste is very specific. And because it's so specific, I'm 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 not often impressed by things. Um but you 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 have a real talent for 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 all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everything's okay in there. What the fuck just happened? Thank you for saying that. No, you've got a real talent for this, <laughs> and I'm I'm very excited to see what happens um, with it. I'm really excited for the full length too. I'm excited for the full length again. I'm really excited. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of become a drag. Um, what do you mean? I've been working on this record for like a long time, like the last t- two years, and conversations and teeth are both going to be on it. It's like weird and like very unorthodox, but like who gives their rat's ass because like everything's changing so quickly it's like everything becomes antiquated so quickly it doesn't actually matter and it's all up to the artist's interpretation is what i think yeah um so those two songs will be on it and um i i have picked a mix engineer to like officially hand things off to once i'm done producing things um now why why hand off the the full length to somebody else to mix? Because you 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 mixed all these songs yourself. Yes. So now why why make a different decision for the full length? Um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first one being, um, I think I've just sat with these songs for too long to have like a fresh perspective on them. Um, and uh, a lot of them have live drums, and I'm just completely out of my element with live drums. I would just much rather someone who knows what they're doing do that stuff. Heard that. I feel it. Um, and I don't know. It's just different. Um, you used the word polished to describe the EP, and that is not what I would say whatsoever. Um, in fact, that's like the defining factor of my record, I think, is like I want it to feel more polished. I want it to feel like 
it's been done properly. So now, I don't, I don't believe in that word properly. Personally, it's just a personal thing. I don't think there's. I think I hate I, saying it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm more of the mind that you know either it's good or it's not, and everything beyond you know the the core song itself just serves to what audience it's best suited for, right? Um, as a matter of taste, is inherently subjective. Um, but I, I think when I use that word polished, I mean intentional. Because they are, they, they're, it, it, it's clearly you, but they're very distinct from teeth and conversations. Um, they don't, they're not, like, like, like Crux as an EP is, is not lo-fi, but it feels like it was made in your bedroom. It's very intimate. Conversations feels very much like a studio record. Again, mm. not, in, not, not in a good or bad way, not a value judgment, just, you know, it feels like, you know. It's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. But, but you know, I think that, 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 that's a cool thing to do, to be able to, like, play both sides. Because it sounds like we're, we're going to get maybe a mix of the two on the, on the LP is what we're going to get. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still my production. Mm-hmm. Um, start to finish, it's all still, like, recorded by me. Um, except for live drums, obviously. And, like, a handful of other things that I want my bandmates to cover. Did you listen to that Fiona Apple record? Which one? Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Is it new? It came out during quarantine. I have not listened to it, but I love Fiona Apple. I didn't even know that she released anything. Oh, Jesus Christ. The music press lost their shit. Um, it, the only reason I ask is because she made it in her house during lockdown. I think, no, she did, it was before lockdown, but it sounds like she made it in lockdown because she made it in her house. But, you know, she's banging on pots and pans and kitchen counters and that sort of thing. And I was wondering if it had something to do with the fact that you were, like, sampling your car. No, but I did, like, a lot of weird stuff, like, percussive stuff like that in Crux, too. <laughs> that's just like it wouldn't it's not outwardly like just noise but it definitely is if you really listen for it i think fiona apple's album would have been like on like the album of the year on most year in lists if not for the fact that taylor swift just came out with an album today that is like quite good <laughs> um <laughs> it's good like it it's good. Is good it is good it's like, good you know it, it's, it's, it's fucking fine good. it's great yeah <laughs> Now, you don't listen to a lot of, like, radio pop. No. 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 I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> the last the last big artist that I, like, listened to a couple of songs and got really into was Dua Lipa. And that's because the production is just so interesting and Dua immaculate Lipa. to me. Okay. Yeah, Break break My Heart, complete bop. I... Now it's weird. I don't. I don't listen to a lot of it either. But I don't. I don't necessarily have a hatred for. I, I love the weekend. The weekend is probably like my favorite pop. People artist. have to put it in my face for me to listen to it. Yeah. I'm not ever gonna just know that that stuff is out there. We're getting into like the opinion part of the show, which is great. But before <laughs> we get, I remember what I was gonna ask you because you wanted to talk about the pedals that you, don't, you used on this record. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about the pedals. Yes. Okay. I actually might just pull up a picture, um, just because uh, huh, there's a lot. I don't have a huge pedal board. It's a it's a Metro Twenty for those of you pedal train nerds who know what that looks like. Um, yeah, so I like right towards. Uh, I think it was right after I finished the EP. I ended up getting um, an old Boss CE two from eighty six. So that's the only thing that's on my board right is that now. A chorus pedal? What is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or uh, yeah, CE two. Yeah, so that's the only pedal that's on my board right now that I didn't use on the EP, but, like, I would have if I had it, you know. 
Um, but other than that... It would have been very timely. Chorus is in right now. Chorus is so in, and I have been, like, on kind of, like, a search for the right one. And, like, what I was saying about fate earlier, like, as soon as I stopped looking for it, it just came into my life for, like, a great deal at Eastside Music Supply. Shameless and plug. Shout I love out you to guys. those guys. They... Because <laughs> I had bought a bass... You, I mean, I, you were there the day that I came and picked it up. Mm-hmm. I bought a bass like as the world was falling apart because I was like, well, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna do the bedroom pop thing too. Because what mm-hmm. else am I gonna do? Um, they did a wonderful job. Dude, that thing was ass when I bought. I didn't. It was so bad that I knew it was bad, and then I didn't know how bad it was until they fixed it up. They leveled the frets on it. They uh, set the neck up. They gave me great strings. Dude, it's fantastic. Derek and Taylor at Eastside Music Supply are some of the best guitar techs. I think in Nashville. Yeah. And I will say that completely on the record and like very shamelessly, I work there and um, I can very much attest to the quality of their work. Um, So I'll just say that. And speaking of bass, there's, there's no bass guitar on this record. It's all synth bass. There is one and it's in self-medicating. It's only on the first track. Okay. Yeah. Very fitting track. Yes. Anyway. So let's go back to the pedals. Yeah. 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 So um, the, the only delay that I use on the whole EP is the Mr. Black solid state echo chamber. Um, it's like a space echo is the design, um, the design sake and, uh, all of the weird, like oscillation effects that you hear. That's all the solid state echo chamber, like all those feedback loops. Um, yeah, yeah. Super special. I love that pedal. Um, I think it's kind of like my always on now, like just in general. Okay. Um, and then the Strymon Blue Sky, which is like a staple of my sound. Um, I've got my presets like real dialed in for that pedal. And I've tried to replace it so many times, but I just can't because it's just so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got the Old Blood Noise Procession, which is basically like a really tricked out deluxe reverb mm-hmm. model. Um, so um, it's basically... Just reverb, one kind of reverb and tremolo, but um, there's a toggle switch between tremolo, filter, and flange. And I actually used, I never thought I would use flange on anything. And it's recently become like a really cool part of my music world. Like I've learned a lot about it recently and um, I did actually use it on self-medicating. Yeah. Um, that it's, I love Old Blood Noise. It's really, really, really cool pedal company. Um, and then Zvex Box of Rock. Is that a distortion pedal? It is a it's a dual boost and overdrive distortion type overdrive, and you can use the boost and the overdrive independently from each other. And um, yeah, first overdrive I've ever purchased, and I cannot get rid of it because it's just so cool. Now, how do you make a decision on what you want? Because you're you're talking to somebody that literally uses a vibrato pedal and a chorus pedal, and then whatever like drive is on the amp. Uh, you have to work at a pedal shop and just try pedals all day long. So before you start working at Eastside, you weren't, were you maybe not so much into pedals? Oh, no, 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 I was. And that's like the whole reason that I work there even. Um, oh, it's you, just um, pedals. Like that's like my whole wheelhouse there. People like will talk to me about like pickups and like different kind of tubes. And I'm like, oh, this pedal's sweet. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I've with that being said, I've definitely just exponentially gained knowledge about pedals yeah. and guitars and amps by working there. Um, but yeah, the initial excitement about gear has been pedals for me. Um, I'm going to do a special edition like of this show where like dudes, like people, like folks, 
folks uh, get together and they debate their gear. I'm not. I'm not a gear head. Like. I, I care whether or not shit works, but it is very, very interesting, and I can't contribute a whole lot to that conversation, but I feel like that could be a thing. Oh, completely. Have a little, uh, little, little, little casual Nashville band beef over humbuckers and single coils. Oh, God. It sounds very, uh, very much a thing that I don't argue with people about. I think it would be a good time. Um, the only other pedal that I haven't mentioned yet, um, I only use it on one song, it's on self-medicating, is this fuzz that I built from a kit. that you I built bought. It? I did. Um, I built it from a kit that I purchased online from Sweden, and it's modeled after this fuzz called the Moody Fuzz. Um, it's the only fuzz I've ever owned, and uh, I think it sounds fine. <laughs> There's a lot of guitar lead on this record, but mainly I think a lot of your guitar language for lack of a better term is riff oriented and atmosphere oriented totally now what use does a fuzz have in your your musical vocabulary hmm i think um a really good friend of mine said this to me one time um he said just keep in mind that fuzz can be delicate and i had never really thought that before and once he said that to me i was like Hmm. Yeah, I guess so. And then I kind of started experimenting with it. Like there's fuzz on that solo and crying in the soup aisle. And that song is not like a heavy song by any means. It's kind of like neo jazz, just like whatever. Um, and the solo is fuzzy and delicate and it sings. And I think that for me, fuzz is one of those things that I just like need to find places to sprinkle it in. Like, it has a place, but it's not, like, a core element of the Bloodroot sound. Let's talk about the live show, because I know you started rehearsals again. <laughs> now for... <laughs> is that a nervous laugh? No, it's... it's No, no, it's a, it's a happy laugh, because um, what, I just had a birthday recently, and... Wait, hold the fuck up. No, you're a cancer. I'm a cancer, yeah. Happy late birthday. I'm, I saw it on the I'm internet. I'm cancer moon and cancer sun, baby. I'm fully emotional. <laughs> Work the fuck up. <laughs> there it is. Um, for my birthday, the, the the one thing that I really wanted more, more than anything was to have a Bloodroot rehearsal, the first one since March, mm -hmm. since before everything shut down. And we did it, and it was so special. We played, uh, the guys showed up, and they um, had learned all the songs on the EP, and we played through it, and um, just played, like, everyone picked, like, one song that they wanted to rehearse, and it was super short and sweet and super 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 special and like the best gift that i could have ever asked for um now for music that, that is this detailed and expansive and atmospheric how the fuck do you build a live set to recreate it because you it's, it's not like you you don't do live arrangements you from what i remember anyway aim to reproduce the record as it was recorded for the most part yeah yeah um that's something that is constantly changing um, because, yes, like I, I want it to sound like the record, um, but also it shouldn't sound like the record. You know, it shouldn't sound sterile and it shouldn't sound like live sounds were produced in the studio. Um, so I'm trying to th my plan for Bloodroot in a live sense is that drums sound like they sound on the record. Um, with samples and everything and like a mixture of live and, and drum samples. And then 
like synths and guitars and vocals are reproduced in a live sense that like replicates what's on the recordings. Um, like I would love to, sometimes this guy, Rob, uh, Rob Griffith plays with us. Um, phenomenal musician, him and his brother Jay are just insanely talented. And like some of my favorite people, shout out, shout out to Rob and Jay of real sword collective. Um, <laughs> so Rob will sometimes come and play keys and like we don't run tracks when he plays keys and it's special and like unique. That's fucking dope. Yeah. And I would love to have him on more often and playing like analog synths and stuff like that. Um just playing the parts as close to the record as possible and just like filling out the sound without having to run tracks. Even if it doesn't sound exactly the same, like, you know, that's that's something that's really important to me. I want it to feel not sterile this i think because I've, I've seen you play maybe three or four times now i think you do a really good job of it. It, it having to do what you have to do stresses me out because i i write music for the stage before anything else quarantine has changed that a little bit and i think for the best but I, I started writing music for music that I wanted to play live. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you write music for it to be what you want it to be, and then you don't compromise on what it is when it's time to get on the stage. It's so stressful. I, I, it sounds like it. <laughs> I don't want to do that. It has been reconfigured so many times. But that's commendable, though. Like that, 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 that really, really is commendable. Um, yeah. Cause you, you're, you're dedicated to the vision of what blood root is and what it can be and what it will be. That's dope. Thank you. It's not an easy task. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like but it. But it's super important. But, but nothing worth doing is ever easy though. Totally. Totally worth it. Yeah. That's wild shit. I, um, I very much enjoyed both of your interviews with both Brian and with Jesse. The one with Jesse I think you're you're someone that has very strong opinions, but you're not you're not like pretentious about the things that you believe. You're dedicated to what you believe, but not you're not combative about it. And I have never met Jesse personally. I've listened to a few basic printer songs. Um, I've stood next to Jesse at one of your shows. I didn't like say anything to him or anything like I that. Love Jesse, yeah, he's a super nice guy. <laughs> cool, cool, cool glitch pop stuff. Um, but it, it was interesting listening, listening to you guys like riff back and forth about the state of not necessarily the creation of music, but the consumption and the marketing of it. Marketing is like his whole thing. He's so good at it. Yeah. And it like, <laughs> it's, it's so inspiring and it's also so frustrating because I'm like, I can never be this way, but this person has so got it figured out. I mean... I, 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 when it when it comes to marketing, everybody's their own person. You know what I mean? Totally. You know, it's about brand. It it, it is, uh, but I think that I think that people who market for a living take that and turning it turn it into something that it shouldn't be. Brand is a fancy word for for reputation, and the best way to have a good reputation is just to be honest. Totally. I mean, marketing is storytelling ultimately is all that it is. If you can t- storytell in a song, you can figure out a way to do it on fucking social media. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've gone like back and forth on this so many times. Um, like I mentioned earlier, that's what I went to school for is music marketing and, and management and promotion. 
Um, and it's one of those things that I just fully detest now. Um, because I often catch myself in this like feedback loop of like, I have these important things to say. I'm a songwriter. Like I want people to hear them, but I want it to be like a gentle delivery. I don't ever want to feel like I'm having to like convince people to check out my art. And it's something that kind of keeps me awake at night to some extent. Um, so the, the approach that I've adapted over the last probably year or so has just been to make sure that my voice on the internet matches my voice in real life. And if that's something that I can just replicate and, and make sure that I uphold, then I think I'm doing my best with marketing. You think that I think that like if you if you're somebody like Dua Lipa for example, I don't think that in in that realm of music there's no shame in marketing or self promotion. Well, Dua Lipa has people to do it for her. That yeah, and that I mean that's a whole another layer to it. Um, obviously, you're, you know your average rock and roll band can't afford that. Yeah. Uh, even your halfway successful rock and roll band can't afford it in these times. Um, but. There, there, there's a cultural ethos among like all things that are, you know, indie derived or punk derived that like self promotion is a bad thing, that marketing is a bad thing. This is how I perceive it anyway. It's, it's a bad thing, and that if people are ever going to love and enjoy your music, they're supposed to just dis- discover it organically. Yeah, but how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, you have to put it in, in front of people. But that's, but that's what I'm saying. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make it doesn't any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like, oh, you're, you're, you're out here like... We've made it so hard for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I don't know why that is. I, I, it's just something that I've observed and whatnot. But, and I, I think that, that when it comes to marketing, it, 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 it's, it's a creative muscle just like playing a guitar or dialing in the effects on your your completely your your your, your fancy pedal and whatnot um but you guys talked a lot about the album as a format and this is something i have strong opinions on um because i am i'm i I, this 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 is the concession that i'll make i'll tell you that my gut instinct is to say that that albums as a format were never the prime mode of listening for most music consumers. Okay? So, like, for people that are really, really into music, they're really into albums. Most people are casually into music. Most people like to pick and choose as they go, and most people don't have the attention span for, you know, a long-term listen. People like songs. People people like songs. And that that, that is my primary and fundamental belief. I think that there was a strange... Uh, a strange union between the early music press in the mid 60s and the early makings of record labels as we know them that basically said this is a valid artistic institution that just so happened to be something that helped record labels increase their revenue right i think that because you th- this this conversation that i'm referencing you were basically like he 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 challenged you on the idea that you were going to like release a few singles before you did a, a full length. And his, his thing is very much, and shout out to Basic Printer, BT Dubs. Um, listen to his music. Um, Please listen to his music. It's so good. But his basic thing was, why not just put the fucking record out, right? And you said something to the effect of, well, you know, bands aren't doing that right now because they're afraid that it's going to hurt the streams. Which, 
I think that a lot of bands are making that decision for that reason, but I think that really is somebody that is not dedicated to the album as a format and is somebody that is not necessarily opposed to making an album at some point, but that is not my primary focus. I think that streaming just exposed the reality that most music consumers, just like you said, are interested in songs rather than full projects. That's like one of the best ways that I've heard that described. I'm trying to be less of an asshole about it. No, it's completely true. It's completely true. Um, and uh, it's it's even extended into like song length, which is like, duh. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things, like I have fought that on so many levels. I'm like, no, like songs can be whatever length you want them to be. And like, screw all that. Um, but like the songs on Crux are like, the, the only commercial length song on that EP is OHE and it's, it's 345, you know, mm-hmm. which is very commercial length. Um, but the other songs are under three minutes, yeah. which is not my vibe at all, mm-hmm. but it's what happened. It's just like what came out that was not an intentional, intentional part of that EP yeah. whatsoever. It just happened that way. Um, and, and I, I stand by what I say about song lengths and them just needing to be like when the song is done, it's done. I think that's the best way to go because obviously there there will be those songs that are like you know five or six seven minutes long, but you actually had something to say in those instances. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that oftentimes some of my favorite songs are like ten minutes long. You know? Give me an example. Like like uh uh Led Zeppelin, I guess, or like All Them Witches. Um, they have like songs that are seven or eight minutes long, and they're like so killer. I love All Them Witches. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's it's because they weren't done yet. It's like the song length is intentional and that's what matters. It's not like filler, you know, like a lot of older bands do that kind of thing. And you could even say that it reaches into like jam territory, Mm -hmm. whatever. Don't care if you dislike or like jam music. Um, You should respect an artist's artist's song length. Yeah, it's, it's, it's real weird because... Or LCD sound system. That's a great example. Okay, now LCD sound system makes sense because those are dance records. They're, yeah. You know, they're indie, you know, so like, obviously people don't want to stop dancing after like three minutes. Like, you gotta, like, because I, I think for a lot of LCD sound system records, they're like radio edits and then there's like the club edit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense for a dance record because I don't want to stop dancing after after three minutes. Dance Yourself Clean is like seven minutes long. The song's long as fuck. It's super long. If I listen to it in the car, I definitely, I definitely skip it before it gets <laughs> to the end. And I, with, I love LCD Sound System, but I'm not going to listen to that song for seven minutes because it's going to hurt my ears. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, when, you, when you think about the early record industry, most of the songs were like barely two minutes and 30 seconds long. Like, you know, there's songs that are two minutes, there's songs that are two minutes and 15, but that was mainly a singles-driven market. Mm-hmm. I think the, the album thing happens with the Beatles when they do, not even Sgt. Pepper's, it was kind of like the one that like codified it, but I think on like maybe like Rubber Soul was like the thing where the, the record labels were like, oh, well, cool, 78s aren't just for like opera and jazz records, they can be for like pop music. Yeah. And then the music press was like, the Beatles have just changed the game because they made a full body of work. Then every band ever was like, oh, yeah, well, the Beatles made an album, so now we got to make an album. Yeah. Um, and it, it. Do you like the Beatles? I like the Beatles. 
I, I don't like love them, but I also I'm also also very one of the, hesitant answer there. Okay, this is Mac. <laughs> no, no, Mac said the same thing because like there 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 are people like I'm like the Beatles are cool. I, I I don't hate them, but I'm also not a Beatles stan either. I'm a I'm a George Harrison stan. Dude, the, George Harrison might have been the most underrated Beatle. Uh, yeah. Totally. Because he, I think like some 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 of the best Beatles songs are George Harrison songs, but like Paul and and, and John get. Isn't like that all what the, Mac said too? She probably did. Dang it, Mac! If you're listening, I just want to know that we should be buddies. I'll make sure that she listens <laughs> to this. You guys would get along quite well. She, she she's a very very nice human, and you're also a very very nice human. Thank you. And you all also very make both make music that I very much enjoy, and I think that you 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 guys are both kind of pushing the boundaries of like what guitar music is and what it can be because guitar music. yeah i you know i <laughs> i don't know man like i like i like rock bands but like it, it and this is not a problem for you and i don't think it's a problem for mac either but for a lot of us it's just so hard to sound original um there's just you know h- how much territory you're really going to cover with power chords what are you gonna do that hadn't been done already you yeah. know what i mean and it's it's like something that you find in guitar music that you maybe don't find in EDM or hip hop is the dedication to the way things used to be. You see what I'm saying? That's that that that's a core belief system in rock and roll and indie music is like, oh yeah, if we're not making the records that like Led Zeppelin used to make, and if we're not making shit like Nirvana made, then we're doing it wrong. And I'm like. Then what the fuck are you making music for, man? Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of doing that? Yeah. Um, it's about pushing the boundaries. Yeah. It's all about pushing the boundaries. It's about making something that is super unique to your experience. Yeah. And there's a million ways to do that. Like, there's not any right or wrong way to do it. I'm just saying that that, that so much of the ethos and the music that we make is dedicated to replicating the past. It's reminiscent. Yeah, it's for reminiscent. sure. Um. But you know, to answer your question about the Beatles, like you know, I, they're they're cool. I th- I think that 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 from the bands of like pre nineteen eighty, they might be my second or third favorite. Like if if I were to pick like a classic rock band that I really enjoy, is probably the Eagles. Interesting. How do you feel about that? And I don't like every Eagle song, <laughs> but the Eagles got some heat. Okay, I. Maybe maybe I'm a little bit uneducated in this territory. Um, the Eagles have always um, uh, stricken me as a band that was doing something that a lot of other bands were doing at that time, and they just happened to be the ones that like coined it and made it famous. And now the same argument could be said for Led Zeppelin or The Doors. Yep. Um, you know... Um, with that being said, those are two of my favorite bands of all time. Okay, so there's The Doors, there's Led Zeppelin, there's The Eagles. Led Zeppelin is my least favorite of the three. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I do not like We're them. totally not about to fight right now, but like... We're not. This, this, ah! this, is, this, is, this is a friendly <laughs> discussion. Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite bands ever, and they are like a huge part of my childhood and like have informed me musically in so many ways. Um... I like the band. Let me tell you, you know? what. Let me tell it's, you what. It's because I, I I tried having this conversation two episodes ago, but the dude that I was talking to, shout out Ted, I love you. He didn't know the song that I was referencing, but you sound like you're a real Led Zeppelin fan. I love Led Zeppelin. Do you know what my favorite Led Zeppelin song is? 
You're never going to guess. And then you're going to roll your eyes when I tell you. You should just tell me. It's Fool in the Rain. Interesting. I love that fucking. I think like I would. Th- I think Led Zeppelin would be so cool if they made more songs like that one. They're so dynamic. I would agree. All and of their. I mean, they have. They definitely have this like central feature right. that is very much Led Zeppelin. But like each of the, each of their albums is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and to be fair, I I'll, I'll, I'll even I'll even see the fact that I'm not super educated on. I I know the stereotype of Led Zeppelin. I know the heavy Led Zeppelin. I know the shit that they're known for, but I know they got like folky shit about elves in like It is mystical. Yeah, I like Zeppelin <laughs> Zeppelin 4. Zeppelin 4 is my favorite record. Um and it it is very like mystical and magical and I think that's why it's my favorite record, but um it's so much more than just like a classic rock band. Yeah, I like so you, much the, more than that. These, these these are my opinions. This this is very much informed by like my taste. I don't like, and I know that all their music isn't super heavy, but I don't like my 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 default is not like you know heavy like balls to the wall. Been a long time since a rock and roll, rock and roll. Been a long time, been a long time. You know, man. <laughs> so okay, so as a as a Led Zeppelin fan though, where are you on this whole Greta Van Fleet thing? Oh my ah. god! Oh my god! Oh, this is the question that I was really ultra prepared to answer. Oh, were you really? <laughs> yes. Greta Van Fleet can completely kiss my ass. I'm looking at you. You hear that, Greta Van Fleet? Dude, like, uh, even down to, like, the production factors, it's like, how much more are you trying to rip off this band? Like, you can't do that. It's literally not allowed. Like, everyone sees right through your shit. Screw you, Greta Van Fleet. Now, this is one of those things to where it's like, okay, because I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan, so obviously I'm not going to like the, the knockoff version of it. Like, if you bought, like, Led Zeppelin from Wish, like, you, that would be what Greta Van Fleet is. So obviously I'm not going to, like, buy a shittier version of the thing that I already don't like. Oh, but my like, God. H- how do you feel about the argument that they are reintroducing a sound to an audience that wouldn't have heard it otherwise? I don't care. There, there you go. <laughs> there you have it, folks. The Doors are kind of hit or miss for me. Um, they, there's some shit that they, they have that I really, really like, and there's some shit that is like, all right, well, that's that's clearly where the acid kicked in. I'm terribly conflicted about The Doors because I love The Doors and I love their records, um, but there's something in me that feels weird about the fact that they're famous because Jim Morrison is a sex icon. Yeah, I so he he falls into that weird musical gray area to where I think his image is maybe bigger than his music. Totally. Um, totally. I have a um, recently I bought one of his books of poetry from McKay's, and I'm reading these poems, and I'm like, oh, like this guy really thinks he's the shit. And there's something about that has that has deterred me from like being so fond of their music. Mm-hmm. I'm like, he knew what he was up to, you Dude, know. Jim Morrison was the original fuckboy. Yeah. The original psychedelic <laughs> fuckboy. He was. That's what he was. Yeah, dude. It's such a bummer because their records are so incredible. I think. I. They're they're interesting because they've got a lot of like you know radio hits, but there's there are a lot of deep cuts. Totally. I think my favorite Doors song is the Soft Parade. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah. Yeah. That it's it, it's super cool, but it's also super comical. Um, that might be, and it was a Doors song that I discovered a whole lot later, but I think that might be my favorite one. 
I, I like the Eagles because, like, when you, like, I, I didn't grow up listening to any, like, kind of indie or alternative music. Like, I heard, like, gospel, R&B, and soul almost exclusively. I think, like, maybe the whitest thing that my dad listened to was maybe James Taylor. Mm-hmm. He bought, like, the James Taylor Christmas album one year. It's pretty fucking white. Yeah, but, but <laughs> even even James James Taylor got a little bop or two. Yeah, J- J- James, James Taylor's got a little bit of heat. He's got a little bit of heat. Totally. Um, but anyway... Totally. Um, I didn't get into like the music that I'm into now until I was like, you know, well into my teen years and whatnot. And Same. The Eagles being a rock band, they they were familiar in that respect because it's, it's, it's kind of like rock and roll, but it's it's also like a lot of like R and B knockoffs, and it was kind of like this is something that I'm familiar with, but it's also something that has has a slightly different tinge to it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's why they were cool to me. But it's also like I don't I don't like radio pop necessarily. I don't like radio pop circa 2020. I like pop-friendly songs with alternative elements is what I like. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and compared to a band like The Doors, compared to like Led Zeppelin, like, you know, the Eagles are the most commercially friendly of three. Totally. So that's like kind of my whole... Totally. That's yeah. why they're my least favorite of the three. So you're very much anti-commercial sounds. Uh, yeah, you, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that you you you've got a good pop song in you, and and it, it's I mean like the conversations is one, but it's not one that compromise. It's, it's not. It goes down easy, but it's not one that assumes the worst of its audience. You see that what I'm saying? That song is terribly misconstrued, and that's like, and I have to be thankful for that reason because it's become so popular for that very reason. Yeah, you know you. Now, you, you've talked about this a lot, but tell us again, because people think that Conversations is a party song, but this is kind of like this sardonic humor where you're kind of rolling your eyes about like what Nashville is versus what it's supposed to be. Oh, totally. That song came about um, because I was so like, like st- stressed over the fact that I had to like be this person and have this formulated conversation conversation with people um, in Nashville. Um, terribly sardonic, terribly... Um, just so misconstrued, fully misconstrued. Um, it's it's hopeful. Conversations is hopeful, and it's got this element of like, I don't really believe in these conversations that I'm having, but I think that they will be fruitful, and I think that there's a way to like turn this conversation into something that's meaningful. Right now, I, I have a couple questions on that because for, my first question is: Are you okay with your music being mis- misconstrued? Yes, misconstrued. I you, am. Okay. I am. I have fully come to terms with that. Um, just, uh, just having a chance to think about why I make music and why I release music. It's like the reward is in the writing for me. Mm. Like songwriting is just like my way of life and it's it's how I cope with things. Um, and that part is completely for me. And I feel confident in saying that there are plenty of songs that I think are really good that I probably will never share with anyone. Really? completely yeah that that's a huge thing for me is like having some of that stuff to keep to myself just because it's so personal but the things that I feel like need sharing I'm totally willing to let go and just let them be misconstrued because once you gift a song to the world it's not about you anymore it's not about you it's about the person who's listening it's about them taking whatever they need from it Aside from it being kind of like a um, 
the song that's, that's sarcastic, for lack of a better term. At least it, it started out from a sarcastic place and then ended up kind of somewhere else. But certainly a song that you started off where you were kind of like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, Nashville and networking and like music and whatnot. Um, aside from that, it's also just kind of, you know, it's like a production marvel. You know what I mean? Do you not feel about that? I it, obviously you made it, so like it does. It it obviously it was cool enough for you to put out, but it probably doesn't sound as cool to you as it does to literally everybody else. No, mm. I'm sure that's true because yeah. I sat on that song and I revised it like so many times. And I will be honest with you and say that, um, well, I guess at this point now it's the only Bloodroot song that I have not produced from start to finish on my own. Um, I was working with a producer for a while, um, and some of his ideas are preserved in, in the, in the version that is now available. And, um, and that's fine. That's all fine. It's all kosher. Um, but the real thing that happened with conversations is that person jumped on that song as soon as I played it for them in the room with my loop pedal and said, wait, hold on a sec. Let me record this. And that was like, the game changing factor for Bloodroot and thinking like, oh, this is like a new thing. This is like a separate thing from everything that I've done. Like this is a new relationship um, with the producer. And I love this person so dearly. And while we were working on this song, there were so many things that I just felt like I could not settle on or agree upon production wise. So there are a lot of elements that I kept, but there are more elements that I tossed out um, and and just revised, and I I re-recorded the vocals for that song like three or four different times. Really? Yeah. So on a scale of one to ten, how happy were you with how it came out? Ten. Ten. I I micromanaged the hell out of that song. So you would say for all your songs, you're pretty like it, it. It doesn't come out unless you're happy with it. Except for OHE, I listened to that song once today and decided that I had done a number on the vocal EQ. And I was not happy with it. But huh. that's something that I'm prepared to live with. And I had already kind of known that at the point that I was ready to just be done with it. So that's different. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But we, we, we had transitioned to talking about conversations because we, you were talking about your feelings as far as commercial music is concerned. And like, you know, I... Dude, I think that like indie music just needs to have like a good time. Like, okay, like there's like, it's, it's, like we 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 can we have sad music and we have music that is incredibly emotive and there's a place for it. Totally. But I feel like in the same way that like, you know, your your standard like radio pop chain smokers or Halsey song goes like way too far in one direction, I feel like you can go way too far in the other direction too. I feel like we need more balance. Totally. That's what I think. I don't think there are enough like they're not enough like dance yourself cleans or seven nation armies right now. Like indie music is just so sad. And I think that's a prop that, that's a product of the time because even, even before COVID life for people in our age group on this planet at this time is just not necessarily something to be excited about. And I don't say that in a defeatist way. I just say that that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've had the rug pulled out from underneath us. Over and over and over again. Over and over again. God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, I forgot what I was going to ask. You started to ask about the Blue Wild for a second there. 
Oh fuck, I did. Yeah. So no, in, in nineteen, like I was like I had played music for a long time. Is that when the fucking thing died? When I was asking yeah, about yeah, the yeah, poop? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had played music all my, all my life at that point, but I hadn't really like written anything that I liked. I didn't write anything that I liked until I was like twenty two. I'm so sorry, Solomon. I You're, definitely look, fully. You know what that that chair is literally a. <laughs> That is a scratching post for the cat. No. Literally, let me tell you something. That chair right there used to sit over there, one in the corners. And then I moved it over there for the podcast, and I had one similar to it (laughs) because my roommate brought that, my old roommate brought that chair, and she had one just like this, but they took this one when she moved out. Um, But she left that one. And then as soon as that chair got over there, the cat was like, oh, a new toy. And at least, at least the chair look. kind of lends itself to like wine box wine colors. Yeah, no, it, ah! it, it's totally literally. You could have not told me, and I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I would have felt so guilty. Yeah, but I like I, you know, I don't like you know I I'm 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 I don't own a lot of shit. I barely believe in like owning shit. You know what I mean? Like I, I care about this shit obviously because it makes me like it helps me make my stuff. But like you know, what's a little wine on a little chair? Love you. Sorry. No, it's all good. <laughs> um, but you, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, and you've you've had a lot of a lot of jump shots, as I call them. You know, you've been able to kind of see what works and what doesn't work. Hmm. Um, and I, I forgot the original point that I was going to make with that, but there was a point to it. I think you 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 you've done the work to be able to make what you make you see what i'm saying that's an interesting way to put it i think like taylor swift is 30 right and i think that that taylor swift (laughs) (laughs) because you're what 24 i'm 24 yeah Yeah. so taylor swift is like just now making music that we would consider like uh, the, she, she's pushing artistic boundaries. And I know that, like, Taylor Swift stands would probably, like, disagree with that. But, like, as far as people that, like, read Pitchfork and Stereo Gum are concerned, this is, like, Taylor Swift's most expansive record. But she's been making music since she was, like, 15, 14 or 15. Yeah. And she just now got to that point. Whereas you're, you started at 19, and then by 24, you're making some pretty heavy shit. Yeah. Um, you know, you 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 had you you had a pretty good head start on a lot of us and it wasn't like you were just like dabbling in it. You've been heavy on this since the beginning. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I've been making weird home recordings since I was like 12. Yeah. You know. And for that reason, I see why it it it's it's probably it's easy for you to discount what you do. You see what I'm saying? Because it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like something that I do. I remember I remember when I met you for the first time. Do you remember where I met you for the first time? It was at the Bowery Vault, right? No, 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 it was not. I met you at Mickey's on your friend's birthday. Oh, my God. I met you ah. at Mickey's, <laughs> Mickey's on your friend's birthday in December of 2018, and we were all drunk, and I was like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm a server at Bar Taco. You should come to Bar Taco. And, and then we did. And then you did. <laughs> <laughs> and... At some point, I had found your music. I was like, okay, well, this is some cool folky folk and whatnot. And I remember you were sitting at the table, and I was like, oh, yeah, you make folk music, right? And you were like, yeah, but that's not all I do, right? That's what you said. Wow. But at this point, there's no conversations. There's there's the Taylor Wofford record, and obviously the Blue Wild is out, but I have no way to know that exists. Um, so I knew that you made music, and I knew that you had music out. And then when you released Conversations, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is like some really serious shit. You see what I'm saying? You feel that way? Still feel that way, yeah. 
Dang, dude. Making records is hard. Oh, so hard. It's really, really hard. And it it because even like you could you could have it all planned out in your head and then you put it down to tape or to binary code and then realize, whoops. Um it's a lot harder for me to get out what I'm hearing than I thought it was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a very extensive uh, Google Drive folder of notes and demos and refs and things, and it just, it, the rules keep changing. The rules keep changing. Um, so many revisions, so many, like, epiphanies in a, in a production aspect. Like, I, I really have started to have hard talks with myself about, like, getting this record done because it's something that is so crucially important to me and these songs are so like cohesive and so like similar to crux just like in a very different way that it's come together it feels like something that has an urgency about it um and i'm trying to like get serious about getting that finished but it's become like a huge mountain at this point because i've waited so long not waited but like it's just taken so long, you yeah. know? But, I mean, now, do you feel like you're losing objectivity with it? or No. No. Okay. Well, no, that, no, was, no. that was a hard no. Well, the interesting thing about the record is that I wrote pretty much all of those songs during a time that I was completely heartbroken about a certain individual. And the interesting thing is that, as of very recently, I've let those things go. But for some reason the feelings have remained important and uh, have remained very potent. And I, I've pined over this person for like two years. And that it's the person that pretty much all the songs are about. And now that I have, have come to terms with how things are and, you know, had a certain mindset and, and how I approach those feelings, I feel like it's a little bit easier to come back to those recordings and open those old sessions and um, give a new life to the songs, even though those feelings are no longer pertinent. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Clarity. <laughs> we've got a lot. We've all got muses, and I feel like you from from the songs that I've heard. And we'll get to teeth in a second if you want to. But I, I feel like you either, I don't think it's intentional. I think that you are in touch with yourself enough to where it's like you can write about anything. It just happened to, to be what you're feeling. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like a lot of people can only write love songs just because that's what comes natural and it's easier. And I think that's most people. Um, but it is interesting that you're, you're, you're saying, well, you know, all these songs are about this one person. Um, because I, I, I see that propensity for you, but I also see the propensity for you to literally be like, you know what, this is how I feel today. I'm going to write about that. Yeah. Most of my songs were love songs. Some of them are not. Um, and it just so happens that the only two Bloodroot releases are songs that are not love songs, but most of them are. Do you want to talk about Teeth? We can if you want. The reason I'm asking is because I've listened to both of your podcast interviews, and when you did Jesse's podcast... You were very cryptic about what that song was about. Then you did Brian's, and you were very specific about what it was about. It is. It's been a process. Um, there's a lot of emotion surrounding that song and its meaning. And um, I would say that um, <laughs> I am more comfortable now with talking about that song 
because I've come to terms with just the way that things are surrounding that individual whom the song is about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a big part of me is hesitant to share interviews and podcasts where I talk about that song because the, the relationship is like so, so um, undefined. Mm-hmm. And a, a big part of me is like, well, if he hears this, he's going to hear that I'm disappointed. Mm. And um, he's going to hear that I'm I'm unhappy with our relationship, which is fairly non-existent at this point. But Teeth is about my biological father, and whom I have never met. And um, I wrote that song after my first tour, or shortly shortly before my first tour, I guess. No, no, no. I take that back. I think I wrote it on tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did this solo tour. Um, not an inten- not originally intended to be a solo tour, but ended up that way um, for various reasons. And um, July 5th of 2018, I woke up hungover after a night out with friends doing fireworks. And... Um, I I hit the road for Ohio for what would be my first out of town show as Bloodroot. And uh I was in my car at 7:30 in the morning with wearing yesterday's makeup and just feeling completely like I have nothing to lose. Um I drove 9 hours to Ohio that day and I did not stop a single time. Longest drive of my life. And within like 20 minutes of that drive I just had this overwhelming feeling of now's the time. And I had his phone number and um, I ended up just saying, fuck it. And I picked up the phone and I called him and I heard his voice and it was exactly how I always thought it would sound. And we spoke a few times following that and uh, nothing ever really came of it. And we uh, don't really have much of a relationship, which feels weird, but also a relief because I have a father or I have a dad and he cares for me very deeply. And he was as interested in proposing to my mom as his wife, as he was proposing to me to be my father, you know? Um, so it's one of those things that I've really come to terms with. And I think it's easier to talk about because of that. Like I like have less to lose, you know? Um, yeah, that's what that song's about. It was very interesting that, the few months between these two interviews that you were very vague and then very specific. Cause I think that just illustrated it illustrated how you're, you're, you're coming to grips with it. If that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? It became pretty clear pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's some heavy shit. Yeah. Um, this is something that I thought about asking about cause it's, I don't know how, Instagram is a lot right now between, you know, uh, the continuing Black Lives Matter movement um, and just everything else was going on. This past week was, like, really heavy as far as, like, the indie music community is concerned because I don't know if you saw the whole Burger Burger Records thing. Man, that was so... God, I, I don't know if I've ever been so mortified and angry and so disappointed because a lot of those bands I really, really liked. Um, and you know they're in California, so I think that when you live on the East Coast, it's easy to be kind of disconnected from it. 
Um, but I, you know, they they stopped just short of like being like a sex trafficking ring. It was literally that bad. Grooming. Yeah. Um, it's fucked up. It, 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 it's horrible. Um, and for for so many of those bands to be so to be so much at the forefront of like this sort of music at this time, you know, I, I think it, it is for, for, for men in this, who that, that, you know, that are in bands. I think it, 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 it exposes real questions about what it is we do and the future of it, because essentially what you had was a bunch of dudes who had attained a degree of social capital and they used it for all the wrong reasons. And for it to be so widespread, it's almost hard to see that it's not intentional. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. But I also have have known men for my whole life and boys for my whole life. And most of my professional circuit is men. Um, so it it's, it's sad, but it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's intentional. And I think that that's the problem. I think that it feels so natural to a lot of people to just act this way and like let things happen in this way. Um, that that's what needs to change mm-hmm. is like the whole mindset. Yeah. It's a problem that it feels unsurprising. Where does that where does that start in your mind? Well, I'm not a dude, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, all I know is the specific, um, encounters and experiences that I have had in the industry and outside of the industry. Um, and oftentimes it just feels too easy. Like it just, it feels so like, oh, this is happening, but, um, it's not surprising. And, uh, that's something that needs to be acknowledged um, it needs to, and it's almost too much to ask at this point, but there are women that perpetuate this. Um, mostly older women. I remember, um, there's, there's a band that I play in and, uh, I love these people. Um, someone's mom after the show came up to me. I'm the only girl in the band, um, which is a, a frequent thing for me. Um, she comes up and she says, man, you did such a good job for being so little up there or like something to to that effect. And I'm like, I love you and I love your family and I love where you come from. But that is so, so wrong of you to say to me, like, you should tell me that I'm good just because I'm good. Not because I'm good because I'm standing amongst other men who are maybe as good as I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's like, to a certain extent, it's like, oh, God bless them, because that's my Southern hospitality speaking, you know? I'm very Southern, and um, it's something that I've fought for most of my life, but I keep coming back to. Um, it's a huge part of my culture and my history and who I am. It's not acceptable, and it's uncomfortable to call people out, no matter who they are. It's uncomfortable to call people out if they're your friends, your family, people in your industry, people in your scene, but it is so important if not now, then when, to call people out when they say things that are wrong, whether or not they mean them. Saying things and doing things that are wrong need to be called out now 
Yeah. We cannot wait any longer to address these issues or we're going to be fucked up forever. I agree. That's a big a big discussion now as far as this whole cancel culture thing. A lot of people are saying. Oh. I don't believe in canceled culture. Okay, now where are you drawing the line? What's the difference? People need to be held account- accountable for their actions. People need to, to some extent, publicly express that they are sorry for what they've done. Um, Ryan Adams is a great example. Ryan Adams is um, from like 45 minutes from my hometown, a very similar kind of place, like a military armpit town. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's a miracle that he made it out and made great records the way that he has and has become such an icon in that scene. However, his actions are completely and like wholly unacceptable. I love his music and it sucks that I, I have had to like put him on the outs in my brain and in my like regular listening just because I can't drive with that. You know, did you stop listening to Ryan Adams when 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 the I know I think people knew about Mandy Moore, but then he was like he messaging like underage women, too, I think also happened. Yes. Did you stop listening to his music altogether when that happened? Yeah. Um, what my winding wheel is one of my favorite songs of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to stop listening to it. And I, I haven't really returned to listening to his music or like following what he posts on Instagram and things like that just because I'm so embarrassed for him. Yeah. And that sucks. And he is one of those people who has come out publicly and apologized for his actions and was kind of rebuked for it. Um, and that's a bummer because I think that he meant it. And I don't know. I don't know the guy personally. I have no idea what he is like on a personal level. If he really meant what he said or not, I would hope that he he did mean it, and at least he said something. Like, I want to go back to something that you said because you 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 don't believe in cancel culture, but you believe in holding people accountable. And I, I agree with that premise. I think. I think for, for, first of all, I don't know what cancel culture is because I think nine times out of ten, when people talk about cancel culture, people say something that like other people disagree with, and then they get yelled at on Twitter. I think mainly is what cancel culture is. I think when it comes to Ryan Adams or when it comes to like the butter tones, which like I can identify what you're saying about Ryan. I never never got it personally. Me did not get it, but I enjoy the butter tones quite a bit. And Buttertones were the band that kind of kicked off this entire thing with Burger Records because Cherry Glazer had recounted uh, their experience with the bassist of that band when I think Cherry Glazer was like 14 and he was 20. Yep. Okay, so at this point, you're, you're, you're a criminal. You know what I mean? Same thing with um, the regrets and swimmers. Yeah. Lydia Knight and um, the front person of Swimmers, um, same, same thing. She was very young, and he was like 24 Mm -hmm. or so. That's very different than saying, and I I include Ryan Adams in that. Like, I don't know to the extent of what Ryan Adams did, but that is a step further than saying something that is, like, politically incorrect. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm not, like, you know, if somebody wants to listen to Ryan Adams' record, I'm not going to judge them for doing so, but I am going to say that it, it's it's a much harder sell to, you know, frequent their shows or buy their merch. I'm not saying, you should, I'm not going to cast a value judgment on it either way. You see what I'm saying? Because um, I think, like, Burger Records got canceled, but, like, 
considering what was happening, they should they they should go away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that there's like <laughs> I think that there is like a period after someone, you know, has been called out for their behavior where they should just be fucking quiet. Just shut the fuck up. Just go in a hole and think about what you've done. Like time out. It's I mean, in the simplest sense, it's like time out. Like you really need to think about your actions and and um, the effect that they've had on other people in your industry. And you should care about that. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with canceled culture. Like, people need to be called out. People need to be held accountable. They need to think about what they've done and really spend time and sit with themselves in that aspect. And then when the time is right, we forgive. You okay. know? I can feel that. I can feel that. And I, I know I said earlier that I'm not religious, but I was brought up Christian and forgiveness is a huge part of Christianity. And that's something that has really stuck with me. Okay. I think that I think that people can really repent for what they've done and receive forgiveness at a certain point. I dig it. So is there a tentative release date for the album or is oh, it kind of so here's the fun thing. I am ready to get this done. Like since Crux has been out, I've been so stoked on like getting reinvigorated about my record and like really hitting it hard and getting it finished. I've revisited all of my notes. I've revisited all of my demos and my roughs. Um, I have decided on a mix engineer. Um, uh, ben McLeod of All Them Witches is going to mix my record and I am completely stoked on that. He's going to do a killer job. Um, it's pretty close on my end. I'm I am probably weeks away from handing it off to Ben. Um with that being said, there are some things happening that I I don't feel confident enough to speak on yet, but some things that might change or influence the release date of that record in a more like industry professional sense. It's exciting. It is very exciting. Um my main prerogative is to get it done and to just have all of the packaging ready for when it is the right time to release it and when it is appropriate culturally to release it. Crux happened and it happened really quickly because I felt like it was something that people needed to hear. This record is very personal um, and it's very unique to my experience and um, I think that there will be a right time to release it. And I don't think that time is is super close yet. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for it. And I think we're all excited for it. I'm excited too. <laughs> is there anything that you'd like us to know before we wrap it up? Um, I guess uh, I would just take this time to say thank you. Um, thank you to you, Solomon, for having me. And... Um, taking this time to just reconnect and talk about what's going on. Oh, hell yeah. And um, uh, thank you to my close friends who have um, had a good understanding of what I've been going through recently and have been, like, super just merciful and, um, and kind while I've been super erratic and manic about all of the crux stuff, which happens. Um, 
And thank you to Joey Deal, who mastered Crux and just knocked it out of the park. And we're about to meet up again and uh, do some B-sides and uh, master it for cassette, which you should look out for. Um, thank you to Micah Mathewson, who took all of the photos that I'm using for this release and uh, who's also just like one of my best friends and a super talented individual. Um, yeah. Uh, I just just really grateful. I'm really thankful for this platform that I have and uh, I hope to use it to the best of my ability and keep up with social social injustices that need to be brought to light. Um, that's a huge thing that I'm interested in in pursuing right now. So y'all hold me accountable for that one too. We didn't get super political in this episode, but I would love to have you back on again and we can do that. Um, congratulations on your release. Thank you. Um, it's a really solid body of work, and I'm very, very excited for what you're going to do in the future. Thank you. Everybody go stream Crux, and everybody go stream Teeth in conversations. <laughs> but um, that's where we're going to wrap it up, guys, and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, everybody.